You are now listening to The Sound of Sanity. This sound will continue for the duration of the program. Hey everybody, welcome to Sound of Sanity. This is Nathan Alverson, your humble and obedient host. This is kind of a sequel to the episode that we did last time, which was entitled Five Rules to Get a Woman. This one is entitled Seven Rules to Get a Man. Oh yeah. That's right. Presumably, all the guys listened to our podcast last time and they've got women, but there might still be some women out there that need to get men. But I guess if you do the math, all the guys have women. They're all taken. All the listeners. All the listeners. But there might still be some, I don't know if you want a guy that doesn't listen to Sound of Sanity, Jake. I wouldn't. No. Me I wouldn't want my daughter to. No. Mm-mm. Come I, on. I wouldn't want your daughter to do that. I wouldn't want anyone's daughter to do that. We want better for the daughters of the world. And speaking of the daughters of the world, the world also <laughs> contains Ben Solzer. <laughs> <laughs> Good point, Nathan. (laughs) Good point. I don't always know what's going to happen when I start one of those transitions. I don't always have the finish in mind, but I always do have the confidence that there will be one. There was one. (laughs) And there was. And that's Ben Solzer. He's my good friend. He's an associate producer of the show and a person that talks into a microphone on Sound of Sanity. I, I am that. And Ben, you know what else you do sometimes is you introduce the third person on the show. Sometimes I do, but today, Nathan, I'm not going to do that. All right. Back to you. Well, let's talk about our subject. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Oh, what? Okay, this is Pastor Jake Mensel, Master hey, of Sanity. That's me. Master of Sanity. <laughs> right? What a great title. And the Master of R-O-M-A-N-C-E. <laughs> I just had to think about it, folks. <laughs> I just had to make you sure the spelling was right in my head. Listen, folks, we want to talk to you, all you ladies out there, but should only ladies listen to this podcast, guys? Mm, no. Guys Definitely not. should also listen. Well, we're going to make some points that the guys just need to know about, for one. And some of the points that we're going to make here maybe should be things that we should have said to the guys as well. Yeah, so. some of the points are mm-hmm. intergenderational. Before we get there, though, it would be, might be fun, because we like to offer a little extra value on sanity, to talk about the history of women as it relates to courtship and dating and stuff. What's it been like for all our gal pals over the last century and a half to hit the dating scene? Or not, as the case may be. We're going to talk about that in a little segment I call Talking About Courtship and Dating as It Relates to Women and the History Thereof. A History of Women and Dating. Hooray! We're not going to cover all the history of women and relationships today, just basically what led to our modern era. So, to begin, Ben, did you know dating wasn't always called dating? Ooh. But we'll get to that. (laughs) I'm glad that you're excited to find out more about this. Very. Let's talk about old school courtship first. So, if you've read a 17th or 18th century novel, then you know that those guys had all kinds of strict rules and stuff. And how could those novels have existed without those rules? That's right, Jake. We're supposed to marry someone of their own class, not somebody above them or beneath them. To do so would be to betray his family's social standing, so he needed to marry well. Yeah, right. Within his class. And the role of women was restricted, broadly speaking, to the home! 
home! Which didn't just mean that women were expected to be wives and mothers. It meant that they, like, literally spent their time at home. Like a, a young marriageable lady in a Jane Austen novel. She's jo- not generally going to go unescorted to town. She definitely isn't going to go to a bar. Like, those are just for men. She's not going to be mingling with single m- young men at the workplace because she's not going to be at the workplace. She goes to a restaurant or opera or something. It's going to be with her family. And once she starts dating a dude, they're not going to, like, pair off and do things alone. That's just not how it worked then. Yeah, so that meant that if you were a dude, first you had to figure out if the lady was interested, either through a mutual friend or getting to know her real carefully at a social gathering. That was all fairly formalized in the Jane Austen era, but by the time we get to Victorian England, it was practically a ritual. First, you had to do what Ben said. Then you ask her parents' permission to call on her for a formal visit of... No less than 15 minutes. Is the lady out? Indisposed? Well, you better leave your calling card, my friend, as a little declaration of intent. So courting would progress if the family was impressed until the guy could ask the lady to be engaged and she had to wait around through all this. Yep. And then there were the rules of conduct. No physical contact, no personalized gifts. So flowers and chocolate, cool. Inscribed jewelry, not cool. If you wanted to, you know, try to be emotionally intimate, The only real way to do it was through letters. Those were the rules. And we think of them as pretty rigid and those people as stuffed shirts. But people back then were still people. So we have plenty of record of people in the 18th century being winkingly allowed to engage in sexual behavior as long as it stopped short of intercourse. Kind of like a lot of conservative people today. Yeah, Ben Franklin has this thing about how the parents of his first marriage prospect would invite him over and then leave them both alone in the parlor for a significant period of time. Mm. It was the wink-wink system, as in, wink-wink, we know you have to get it out of your system, just don't make it into a big public deal that's embarrassing for us. Wow, I guess people in history are kind of like people today. Weird. So, of course, a big chunk of the history of the 20th century is the history of people being done with their wink-winking at sin and getting on with their full embrace of it. And not that we want to say dating is a sin per se, but it does lead us into the story of how dating became a thing. Right, but we kind of have to put that in a broader context, though, which is how society changed, just generally speaking, in the late 19th and early 20th century. It began with industrialization, people leaving small-town agrarian life for, like, jobs in cities. Yeah, to that, the proliferation of money and entertainment in the Western world, especially in America. Right. The, the Gilded Era from 1870 to 1900 is called that for a reason. It saw the fastest rate of economic growth in America's history. Suddenly, there were singles with expendable cash. They wanted something to do. So dance halls, theaters began to become socially accepted. And the purveyors of these entertainments wanted people of both sexes to engage in their services. So they began advertising to both sexes. They wanted to get young women out of the house. Because anywhere they could get young women, they were going to get young men. Right, that's just good business. And actually, it worked. So remember all that stuff I said about how marriageable women didn't mingle with marriageable men without other people around? That changed around the late 19th into the early 20th century. And that's really, you could argue, one of the most radical changes in Western civilization. And so this might be a good time to say where the word date actually comes from. It was coined by George Ade, a columnist for the Chicago Record in 1896. He wrote this column about working class lives where he told the story of a clerk named Artie. Poor Artie's girlfriend was losing interest in seeing other guys. Ah, so get this. This is a real crackerjack of a story, pal. Artie, <laughs> Artie confronts his girl, see, and he says, <laughs> he says, I suppose the other boy's filling all my dates. <laughs> like his date's on the calendar. Yeah. So. <laughs> anyway, women and dating. Yeah, so it's the turn of the 20th century. There's this huge social upheaval. 
Single women are starting to be out and about, which is way, way different than how it used to be. They're starting to let men buy them food and drinks and, and tickets to things like the theater, like without the whole family going and Mr. Darcy going along as a family friend. Now Darcy and Elizabeth can just sort of hit the town by themselves. Or worse, Elizabeth can hit the town and go out and try to find a Darcy. Uh, actually, a lot of the more conservative leaders and spokesmen of the time just assumed that the new breed of women were, I mean, there's really no nice way to put this, like whores, prostitutes. If you imagine a world changing the way we're describing, it did seem pretty scandalous. People were like, uh, if a woman is just willing to like go out like uh, with a guy, like what's the guy getting in return? So in Chicago at that time, a single woman in society was known as a, and this is a quote, a woman adrift. The notion that a woman could live in town, not attached to a husband or a father or some man, really weirded people out. She was a woman adrift. It was a public debating point, a thing that civic leaders were expected to have an opinion on, maybe a social problem, a big deal. It's worth noting that in the early 1900s, women were paid less than men, way less. It was generally assumed their income was going to supplement the incomes of their husbands and fathers. So that's actually when it became common custom for men to pay for meals on dates. Almost no single gal could afford it. There's a story of a private investigator in 1905 who was hired by some worrywart social activist people in New York to stake out the Strand Hotel and see what couples were doing there. And the investigator is like really confused by these women because they don't seem like prostitutes per se. They're just store employees, telephone girls, stenographers. And yet, as he said, they seem to be on terms of, quote, sexual intimacy with their male companions, unquote. So by the mid-1910s, women on dates were known as charity girls. That's a way of saying they would give their favors, that is to say they would give themselves away for free. A prostitute makes you pay for it, a charity girl doesn't. Actually, the prostitutes at the same Strand Hotel complained that charity girls were putting them out of business. So as we then move into the full flapper era of the 1920s, one of the big fantasies for the working woman was to marry her boss. Yeah, this great article that we'll link to in the show notes recounts a senior at Calumet High School who told the sociologist, I would like to be a stenographer. I'm going to be an executive secretary and marry the boss. The other big fantasy that you'll see in movies and stuff from that time is the girl who works in a high-class department store where rich men are likely to shop so she can snag one of them and become his wife. And it wasn't all fantasy either. An in-house newsletter for Macy's employees in New York had a gossip column that tracked those exact kinds of courtships. Men and women working together. Mass hysteria. Yeah, we can't emphasize enough. This was like the first time in modern history when the sexes were just regularly mixing together in the workplace. And so one result of that in the 1920s, the cosmetics industry blew up. Before that, two kinds of women painted their faces. One was prostitutes, two was actresses. Victorians believed in natural beauty for a proper woman. In 1912, you can find an article from the Baltimore Sun that's reporting that respectable society women are, quote, seen on the streets in fashionable promenade with painted faces, unquote. Okay, so now enter the advertisers. Let's not call this painted faces. Let's change the conversation. People associate painted faces with actresses and whores, which are kind of the same thing anyway, aren't they? Let's call it something different. Let's call it makeup. And let's call a woman making herself up virtuous and feminine. Like she cares about her appearance, about pleasing her husband or her man. Yay, advertisers. Well, you can't talk about the 20s without talking about the it girl. Who was the it girl? A girl invented by advertisers and article writers. This girl had that certain something, that charismatic quality. She had it. 
They even made a movie starring Clara Bow as a shop girl who has it, that it factor. And what does it get her? Well, she marries the boss, of course. There's a crucial difference between this girl and previous generations' notions of what made a great catch. Yeah, it's not about morality or about character. It becomes about personality. Personality is this malleable, adaptable quality that you can use to your advantage to catch men. Another type of makeup almost, a mask that you would wear. Another big social issue that people were talking about in the 1920s was petting. Petting was a a thing, like a a cause of major concern among moral crusaders, which, as we said earlier, was really something that had always been going on, coming into the open and no longer being winked at, but just allowed. So there's this one article from the Times in 1922 titled, Mothers Complain That Modern Girls Vamp Their Sons at Petting Parties. Well, these things tend to go in cycles, and the fun and games were all over in 1929 with the Great Depression. Of course, the cat was more or less out of the bag by then, but public mores and ideals did become stricter again through the war years and into the 1950s as Americans reacted to the 20s with a more traditional turn. But the notion of men and women dating, working together, seeing each other socially, which had been anathema, even illegal, mere decades before, was now entrenched in the Western world. So then the 60s come and give us free love and the relaxing of those standards again. You know all about that. The most interesting development of the last few decades has been the radical Marxist-inspired feminism that has been taking over the world, making women balk at the idea of marriage itself as sexual slavery, part of the system, and instead promulgating the idea of women as agents free to do whatever they want with their bodies or whatever. Right. Now, there's one other idea that got mixed up in there, which is the idea of a biological clock. In the early 1970s, as women really started to take academia and the workforce by storm, the idea of a biological clock became a huge talking point, almost a a panic. Well, it's common sense, really. I mean, women suddenly realized, "Uh uh-oh, if we actually spend too much time trying to have it all, we might lose our chance to have one of the things we want the most, which is children. Well, yeah. So right in the mix here, you have all this tension coming together. And in 1973, Roe v. Wade, Supreme Court decision makes abortion legal in all 50 states. And so women, my body, my choice, I can give my body, I can have sex with men, I can kill my babies, but also I'm in the workforce and in academia, and I also really want to have children. It's just a big mess. And that brings us to today, where women are, in fact, free to do what they want with whomever they want, are more and less socially encouraged to do so. And if children get in the way, then they can kill their children. And if they wait too long, you know, there's therapies and treatments and hormones and... Adoption and... All kinds of of ways to try to solve that problem, either with test tubes and science or... Well, how do you even sum up where we are today? I mean, here we are. We have a lot of fear out there, a billion different opinions about what all the things we've been talking about mean for family, marriage, children, reproduction. It's all tangled up. Everybody purports to have the answer. And here we are. Except for the people that say there are no answers. Except for the people who say there are no answers. And that, on a very depressing note, concludes whatever we called this segment. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. As we said, we are going to offer seven ironclad rules for how a lady can get a good man ironclad huh? ironclad jake all right absolute ironclad if you follow these rules now that's not true they're just some really helpful good pieces of advice i think and some wisdom there that we are going to offer but speaking of wisdom you know who i think in the sanityville universe has 
great, great wisdom on all kinds of sexual and gender kind of issues. Pretty much everybody that we yeah, should have all, all of our so menagerie many of characters. Yeah. Well, this would be, of course, the He-Manologians. Oh, boy. I mean, women are listening to this podcast. That's probably the only reason they're listening is... So they, in they hopes get, of a He-Manologian the he so that they can wow. get some real unfiltered. Yeah, let's do it, guys. We're cutting to the He-Manologians right now. everybody, welcome to the Hemanologians. If there's one thing we totally get on Hemanologians, it's the travails of the modern woman. PJ's a little boy who's too scared to talk to women. <laughs> Shut up, CJ. I just don't want to be turned into a toad. Not all women can turn you into toads, BJ. Only ones that have come of age and been granted their evil powers. I like women because uh, they're like pretty and stuff. They wear dresses. <laughs> dresses are totally cool. <laughs> Today, like... We're going to talk about what women want. Oh, uh, hey, it's like that movie, Dumbo. Uh, why is it like Dumbo? Uh, I like elephants. Booyah. As I was saying, like, <laughs> we're going to totally give women what they totally definitely want from three guys on a podcast. Advice on how to be more attractive. Dumbo is cool because he can fly. <laughs> BJ has big ears. <laughs> Booyah. I can fly. No, BJ. Bigger BJ flies good. <laughs> As I was saying, today we're exploring what women can do to be more attractive to us, manly, awesome men. One thing I really like from a woman is when she tucks me in and reads me a story. Uh, that's what a mother does, BJ. And I like it when she kisses the place where I skin my knee and then it, it feels all better. Again, this is like totally something a mother does. Mommy! BJ, um, maybe instead of crying for your mommy... You should be asking out a, a smoking hot babe. Okay, ladies, that's lesson one. That is definitely one thing that men find attractive, a smoking hot babe. If you're not smoking hot, you can make yourself more smoking hot by wearing the right clothes, jewelry, makeup, hairstyle, perfume, and other simple, inexpensive things that are super easy for all women to do all the time. Haha, <laughs> the only smoking hot thing BJ's ever touched is... The stove. Shut up, CJ. The stove's name is Ferdinand, and he wants me to burn everything. Another thing you should definitely do in the first couple of dates is make sure the man knows you know he's in charge. Oh, uh, you mean like generally defer to and respect his position as a man? Yes, BJ. I mean that. And also to obey his every whim in regards to absolutely everything. AJ, uh, are you saying that uh, if I met a lady once... Let's say at a church college group, and we have been on one date. I should already expect her to act like a wife relating to her husband. I wouldn't use those exact words, BJ. I would use other words to say the exact same thing. How are you supposed to know a woman can, like, submit to you if she doesn't do it already, like, uh, when you're dating and stuff? <laughs> Precisely, CJ. Just like, how can you know someone has a gun unless they're firing it off 24-7? If you've gone on a date or two, like, with a lady, she better be ready to do, like, you know, do certain things for you. Like, laundry. 
Well, I feel that all conversations about physical intimacy should be reserved for a respectful dialogue in the presence of a pastor or trusted older counselor on the cusp of your wedding. Shut up, BJ. The only thing you've ever reserved is Goodnight Moon from the library, huh? Uh, shut up, CJ. I already have six copies of Goodnight Moon. The only thing I reserved from the library was a copy of Immanuel Kant's Critique of Pure Reason. And then I forgot to read it. One thing men definitely don't find attractive in a woman is strong opinions, or the ability to argue well, or the ability to read. Uh, actually, AJ, what if somebody needs to read a cookbook? Or a picture book if there's some kid that won't stop crying. Uh, probably the thing that makes me cry the most is man's inhumanity to man. And when I fell off my bicycle. Ha! Totally forgot how to ride a bike. Shut up, CJ. You forgot how to ride a bike. Riding a bike is something people forget all the time. You suck. It's important to emphasize that men do not just want another pretty face. They also want pretty legs and other things. Ah, uh, I guess I just want a woman to share my hopes and dreams. Your only dream is that Barbara Streisand's trying to pry your nose off with a fork and eat it. Ah, shut up, CJ. That really happened. I have photographic proof. Here you go. Well, I'll be darned. That's messed up. BJ loves your music, no, Steve? Hey, we're back. Thank you, He-Manologians. Boy, do I feel better. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) I don't know why, but I do. (laughs) Guys, let's do it. Let's get to... The seven rules for getting a man for all the ladies out there. By the way, we should send out a special thanks to Jake's wife, who helped us think all this through. Yeah. And she snagged, I mean, the cream of the crop. I know, right? So guys, let's get to point number one, which we have entitled, A Good Man is Hard to Find If You're an Idiot Who Is Not Around Where the Good Men Are. Wow, what a great title for a rule. Uh, (laughs) Welcome to A Good Man is Hard to Find If You're an Idiot Who's Not Around Where the Good Men Are. (laughs) Guys, why did we start with this rule? What did we mean by it? Explain, explain. Okay, well, there there are layers to this, but it just doesn't go without saying that the very first thing that you should do is you should be a part of a good church, a good church community where there are godly men who are being trained and taught and discipled to be godly men, for one. So let's just say that much. And then let's go on and say that also within the context of that church, you got to put yourself out there. You have to be in a place where the good men are going to be and are going to be, the. you know, there is any there are any number of people that attend a church. Some of those guys, not so great. Some of those guys, good godly guys who really love Jesus and want to serve Jesus. Here's an idea. Be where those guys are. But how will I know? Well, you know what? I think that if you're committed to serving God and serving the church, uh, you're going to end up in the same sorts of places. You're going to end up on the mission trip. You're going to end up serving at the soup kitchen. You're going to end up serving in the same kinds of ways that any church needs single people to serve in. And so that's a big part of it is really those things work together. If you're committed to serving the Lord you're going to be in the places where there are other people committed to serving the Lord. The reason that doesn't maybe go without saying is because there are a lot of women that prefer to, you know, maybe they're shy or they want to be reclusive or 
whatever. And you can't just sit at home and expect a good man to find you. And that's not just like a go and do the mission trip kind of thing. That's also an attitude thing, right? If you're not willing to talk to different guys, maybe because they don't meet all of your standards, and hey, vice versa for guys. Turnabout is fair play for guys. If you're not open, then you won't talk to as many guys and you won't kind of figure things out but as well as you I'm could. shy? Well, Nathan, there's part of shy that's just being shy and part of shy that's like a character thing you got to work on. What if my church doesn't that. have good singles programs? Well, you still got to be as open as you can be and do what you can do. What if there's nothing that I know how to do? Well, that's why you're Stop. listening to this podcast. Stop. You're just being defeatist and lame. <laughs> if this is your attitude to everything that we have to say, then that's the attitude that has to change. You can't be that way. You can't respond to everything we say with, I can't, I can't, I can't, what if, what if, what if, and make it somebody else's problem. Stop being a victim and be proactive about serving the church, serving God, and being where good guys are. There's no singles program at your church, so what? Are there no single guys at your church? Okay, maybe you need to go to a different church. There's no singles program? Well, one, who needs a singles program? Right. There are all kinds of ways to serve the church. There are all kinds of contexts to be around people that love Jesus. If not, then you're in the wrong church. Do you want there to be a singles group? I don't know. Maybe help start one. You uh, don't think you have it in you? Talk to somebody who does. I'm in a good church with good programs, and there just aren't that many great guys. Well, obviously, God just wants you to stay single the rest of your life, and he doesn't care about you. And I guess the reason I'm playing such a defeatist person is because I have known and observed these people, both men and women, mm -hmm. in the church. And I don't feel like I'm exaggerating or being a caricature when I offer no. these. No, but that's the point. That's what. That's why we said what we said from the beginning. The point is get rid of that attitude. Well, one good way to get rid of that attitude is to do our second point. Wouldn't you agree, Jake? Sure. Which is make the church hate your husband. Make the church hate your husband. What did we mean by that, guys? I think this is just a good rule for all single people. If you're single then you have all kinds of time in your life to give to serving the church and serving the people in your church. And you ought to be using that time really well to be of real service to the church and real people. So much so that when it comes time for you to be married, everybody looks around and feels the loss of you because you're suddenly not going to be available to be babysitting for that you know family of nine or that young married couple that just had their first baby, you're not going to be able to uh, be in, you know, as many pro, you know, serving in as many programs. You're going to have to be home to take care of your household, all that sort of stuff. So there should be some sense of joy for you and mourning over the loss of you. Yeah. My wife was like that. And that's the first thing that I noticed. I've tried to told the story on podcasts before, but she hit our church like Comet and just exploded through it and was babysitting everybody's kids and she was just here for a summer she came to do like a an internship at iu and yeah jake actually remembers better than i do an internship at iu you know she was only going to be here two months i think something like that and she, by the end of those two months everybody in the church knew her name and she had been over to everybody's house and it's not a small church it's a church of about 400 people and she's just been everywhere everybody knew who meredith was Everybody had felt helped or served by Meredith. She was just there. Right. Mm -hmm. And I remember that specifically catching my eye and being very attractive. Like I have these images in my mind of her gathering plastic plates after a church picnic 
or yeah, she was going to be the the person who was going to be like picking up trash and putting away everybody's stuff and and that's like a really good look like it's a good look i was just like wow if this woman serves the church like this then maybe she'll serve me well she'll be a great wife maybe she'll be a good wife yeah which is another way that this stuff works is he'll be able to ask people about you who will have a knowledgeable opinion of your character because You're they've known. seen it in action yeah, I mean, the yep. second thing that happened with Meredith is everyone said, hey, Nathan, you're single, she's single, and she's doing a lot of cool stuff, and maybe you should notice. And I was like, I guess, maybe. I'd rather be watching TV at home. <laughs> and it all worked out, and now we're married. <laughs> you can watch TV at home together. <laughs> and Meredith can't babysit for as many people. Nope. Nope. All right, guys, we're going into point number three, which I think is maybe the best titled point of anything that we have ever done Mm -hmm. in Sound of Sanity. Mm. Are you guys ready for this? High standard. It's a high bar. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a high bar? (laughs) Ben, are you ready for this? Okay, I'm ready. All right, it's don't be yentle, be meek and gentle sounded like could you say that with, with a yentl accent because it sounded like don't be yentl be meek and gentle yeah that's, that's <laughs> my yiddish it's, it's perfect hey, don't be yentl be meek and gentle i can't that's perfect. i don't know i can't really it's do that good. acidic but yeah you guys you guys remember yentl right <laughs> yep from the barbara streisand movie i don't really either but for the purposes of this catchphrase for point number three she's like barbara streisand who's like a horrible human being you don't want to be her <laughs> what? What okay. are we talking about? I, I thought we were on Fiddler in the Roof. Yeah, that's right. Uh, don't be, uh, no, Jake, you know, Yentl, your favorite movie? No. Don't, don't. Pre- don't pretend. And, <laughs> I, I, you know, Jake, just between our audience, it's okay. They they can know that you love Barbara Streisand's film, Yentl. <laughs> All right, forget about Don't Be Yentl, Be Meek and Gentle. I think the point of this one. <laughs> I had no, I was, I was in Fiddler on the Roof land as well. Oh, did you look up Yentl or something? Yeah, I was like, what is this? <laughs> it's just some terrible. I was like, now which one of those is, let's see, there's, there's Yenta, isn't she the matchmaker? <laughs> and then there's like, which one is Yentl, is it? <laughs> Disclaimer, folks, if you're anything like Ben or Jake, they both thought I was talking about Fiddler on the Roof, just because I guess the only piece of Jewish lore that they can possibly <laughs> think of, <laughs> these two racist anti-Semites, wow. is... Fiddler on the Roof. As well, but, to the... I, but I was sitting here like, who's Yentl? Because there's Yenta, the matchmaker. I just thought I had like... misremembered that she that she was a... I mean, a Yenta is also and a noun, right? It just means model. matchmaker. And I was like, maybe Nathan got Yenta and model confused. No, I didn't. Yentl, <laughs> I, I'm, all of our listeners are screaming into their phones. They're like, Yentl, haven't you guys heard of that... the American romantic musical drama directed, co-written, co-produced, and starring Barbara Streisand? That great piece of Jewish mythology or whatever you just said. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Afraid not. Okay. Well, guys, there could be better taglines. Titles? Titles. Okay. <laughs> Maybe. I thought this, I, I predicted this one would be the best one, and I wasn't being ironic at all. But now I guess it's the worst, how the mighty have fallen. <laughs> Guys, point is, more the second part, the be meek and gentle part. What kind of a woman do you think a godly man might want to marry? And I'm sincerely asking you guys, what were you, what were you looking for? Well, just, I mean, can't do better than to use you guys as godly men. I know you could you're tell me you were terrible people, but hey, you're godlier now. 
Well, I will tell you that the first time that Amanda turned my head, we were on a mission trip together. I had never really noticed her before. So it was a mission trip to, to Juarez, Mexico, and we were building houses. I was mixing cement by hand, and so people were bringing buckets full of rock and water and concrete mix for me to throw into you know, a mixer or wheelbarrow and mix it up. I just noticed that one person was outworking absolutely everybody and bringing more buckets, outworking the guys uh, as well as the girls. And I thought, whoa, this girl's here to serve and here to work. And she was one of the, the youngest people there too. She was just sort of cheerfully there working, serving, no big deal. Like she wasn't like trying to prove a point. She was just there to there to work. That's what she'd come for and that's what she was doing. It was just very meek and sweet and humble about it. And I thought, wow. And so I started to take notice of her and found myself wanting to sit by her in the van to the work site every day and were to her from and started talking to her to get, you know, that just sort of happened. Like it wasn't something that I even really was all that hyper aware of or intentional about. I just found myself attracted to her, wanting to be around her. The rest is history. The rest is history. Yeah, I. It's it's kind of hard to talk about. It's kind of a, it's even given that I know people that aren't feminists are mostly going to be listening to our podcasts. I find it a little embarrassing to talk about somehow. But I really think if a Christian guy is being, if if I was being honest, I was looking for a helpmate. Right, I was looking for a helper. Mm-hmm. And so diligence, very attractive. Hard work, very attractive. Because I know my life has a lot of work in it, and I want somebody to share that work sweetness Mm -hmm. meekness humility attractive things yep well it's a lot like what we said last time which is that hey if you'd like to marry a godly man be the kind of woman that a godly man is gonna be gonna want to marry gonna be attracted to kind of like beth moore she knows her mind she's gonna tell all those men what for she's gonna stand up to them she's gonna be on twitter yeah exactly like that okay brilliant but the people in the room can't see is Ben's maniacal grin, sly little smile. He thinks right? he's being very clever. <laughs> and hey, Jake's look of no, utter it's, disdain. <laughs> it's more that I just, I just am keeping up a little bit with what's happening on Twitter about Beth Moore. So <laughs> there she is, Beth Moore, everybody. Well, Beth speaking Moore. of Beth Moore, we have more things oh. we need to talk about. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> Which, oh no, the devil's advocacy alarm. Hey, I'll be the devil. Devil's advocacy alarm. One of us has to pretend to be the devil and argue against the point that we've been making. Hey guys, it's a dog eat dog world. Submissive, sweet, diligent, humble, help matey women nowhere in culture are portrayed as attractive. Like, don't you just, don't you think if Hollywood, like Hollywood knows how to sell things and what they sell is a uh, kick butt, I guess we have to say on the Christian podcast, women. Like, that's what men actually are attracted to. It must be because that's how we sell popcorn and soda. Advertisers know us better than we know ourselves and all they sell is strong women. Um, Women that are the opposite of everything we've been describing. One, who cares what the stupid world thinks? Here's what God says. Two, that's not actually true. Birds of Prey failed and flopped because nobody cared about an actual feminist propaganda movie with kick-butt women. What Hollywood likes to do is say, we know you want to feel a certain way about women and that's that they're kick-butt, but also if we can make them look and feel kick-butt while also feeling feminine and deferential, that's the sweet spot because we can appeal both to your rebellion and to the creation order that resides deep inside your heart. And so that's why the MCU has Scarlett Johansson play Black Widow the way that she does, which is always 
alongside and subservient to a man. And yet she can still be thought of as being kick butt. So you just, it doesn't matter what movie it is. You pick a movie and she's got her male lead that she's keying off of. It's the Hulk. It's Captain America. It's Robert Downey Jr. It doesn't matter. And every one of those movies to date, she is keying off of a man and in service of a man as a subordinate as, and it responds in a very feminine, meek, deferential way to that man throughout the course of the movie and then kicks butt when she has to. That may change with the Black Widow movie, but if it changes too much, people won't like it. Mm -hmm. And so Hollywood is trying to straddle the line of both appealing to our rebellion and also appealing to our innate natures and what we find innately attractive. And that's the way that Hollywood works. So if you want to hold up Hollywood as the standard, well, what you have to do is you have to see where Hollywood makes its appeal to what God says is true of us. And then you also have to see where Hollywood is trying to appeal to our sinful natures, our rebellion, and you have to be able to parse the two. And there's no such thing as a man that doesn't want a woman who's submissive to mm-hmm. sex, for example, who's submissive in all kinds of ways. What Hollywood wants to do is say, you can have that you and also be and lazy and have her take the responsibility for everything. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. But they're going to package that lie with a lot of truth because that's the easiest way to make the lie go down, Yep, actually. And that's what Jake's talking about. And what I want to talk about is whatever I want while our listeners listen to a another little segment during the next break. And this one, I think, is going to feature our friends Desmond Dark, a very normal man. And yeah. Andy Jukeman, a very, how would you describe Andy Jukeman, Ben? A healthy individual, Nathan. A healthy. <laughs> that's how I would describe him. A healthy him. young man. A healthy young man who's on his way to great things. So let's listen to Andy and Desmond, and we'll be right back. Oh boy, oh boy, it's Valentine's Day tomorrow. I can get a card for my friend Mary, and I'll fall in love with a beautiful woman and get married, and we'll have lots of kids. You got a messed up view of relationships, kid. What? Oh, oh hi, Mr. Dark. You think, you think my view of relationships is messed up? First of all, women aren't beautiful. Second of all, you'll be lucky to get one day a month with those kids after all said and done. Wow. Some kids get one whole day a month with daddy? Steady, McDuffel. My my name is Andy. You know me. I told you last time, only posers use their real names. Real people use pseudonyms. Right, McDuffel? Oh yeah, my name is Glurby McDuffel. Also... Happy Valentine's Day! Uh, ha, ha. Let me tell you something, Glurby. Valentine's Day is a highly monetized industry that exists solely to line the pocket of Big Greeting Card. Are you saying the greeting card industry is just in it for the money? Them and all the other gutter trash. But I've been doing Valentine's Day research for Quentin Seltzer. What did I just say? But women like Valentine's Day, too. Don't make me laugh. Knock, knock. Who's there? McDuffel. McDuffel who? McDuffel back. Hmm. You might have a future in comedy, kid, but I said don't make me laugh. Tell me about women. There's only one way to learn about women, son. Get your heart broken into a thousand million pieces from which it'll never recover. That or read my ebook, Understanding Women. That sounds like two ways. I guess the first thing you learn about women is that they have jet black hair in a ponytail 
and they look real pretty in the rain on your first date in downtown Chicago. Ah, they look cute in a jean skirt and a Weezer t-shirt. Uh, is that every woman? Uh, they're all the same. My friend Mary has a ponytail. Your friend Mary is trying to pull you into a deadly world of everything women like. Chick flicks, expensive restaurants, and feasting on your soul. Yay! Next thing you know, you're married and you move into a one-bedroom apartment on Chestnut Street. You think you're happy, but it's all a lie. A lie? Like when Grandma says she's taking my allowance for arthritis medication, but it's really for tequila? Yeah, kid. Kind of like that. Nice thinking. Anyway, you wake up three years later to realize that women never restock the Budweiser. Women never voluntarily watch Doctor Who reruns with you. You have to convince them every single time. It's like they think Doctor Who is only for nerds or something. Women resent it if you want to spend so much as five days out of the week with your friends. They want you to do things with them all the time, like eat dinner or hold your son. Sock Mom says, I never get enough me time because I'm a sock puppet. Well, women want men to be their sock puppets, Sock Mom. They want benefits for men that have nothing to do with your piercing social analysis or your mastery of Street Fighter 2. That's hard to believe, Mr. Dark. Well, it's true, kid. What women want is for you to get a quote-unquote job and bring home quote-unquote money. Oh, so they can buy some quote-unquote food and put it in the quote-unquote refrigerator. Is a refrigerator a metaphor, Mr. Dark? It's a metaphor for a dark, cold place there's no escape from, son. Oh, that's kind of like in our house in the winter when Grandma didn't pay the power bill on time, we didn't have any heat, and that's because she spent our savings getting her skin tags frozen off her shoulder or something. Well, that's relationships in a nutshell, kid. You expect heat, but you get the cold shoulder. Uh, is that crickets? They're attracted to the darkness because... My life has really sucked. I'm sorry, Mr. Dark. I forgive you. You do? Well, mostly. For what? For reminding me of my son. Oh, I'm really sorry, Mr. Dark. And Sock Mom says... This is just a sorry excuse for our society. Ah, uh, thanks, Sock Mom. You're I, welcome. I appreciate that more than you know. Say, uh, Mr. Dark, you don't have a son. And I... I don't... I don't have a... I don't have a, a dad. You make a fair point, kid. Maybe you and I, well, you could be like my, like my dad? Mr. Dark? Yeah, yeah, that's a great idea, kid. Hooray! Uh, first, I just need to go buy some cigarettes. Oh, okay. I'll be right back. Can I borrow some money? Sure. And we're back, guys. How about that Andy and Desmond? How about him? Mm. Let's roll into point number four. Even, oh man, these titles are so great. Would you guys like to give me a round of applause right now? Anyone? Jake? Jake, Crickets, would you? baby. Did you? Okay. Desperate Louse Wives. <laughs> I know it's pretty good. Wow. <laughs> Desperate yeah. Louse Wives. Now, guys, what did we mean by Desperate Louse Wives? What we mean is that good men, actually all men, can smell desperation. 
good men are repulsed by it and bad men are attracted to it. Because it's like... It's easy to take advantage easy of. Easy to take advantage mm-hmm. of, right? Yep. Why are good men repulsed by it? Because a man doesn't want a project. He doesn't want a black hole. He doesn't want somebody who is super high maintenance, whose his job is not to fill up the needs of a woman. His job is to fulfill God's purpose for his life. And what he wants is a woman that will be a helper, who will be by his side, and who will be ready to be a part of the work that God's called him to. It's just not attractive. A godly man has things to do, and it's not maintain a needy woman. Yeah, a desperate woman also doesn't, what she signals is that she's taking the lead. And she's taking the lead. Notice notice me, I'm taking the lead. Ask me on a date. I'm taking the lead. Ask me on a date. I'm insecure. Not... I want to be in control. I'm grasping and uh, and I'm needy. Which isn't to say that a godly man doesn't want to take care of the needs of his wife, care for her. And it's just to say that when it becomes about servicing the needs of a needy, desperate person, nobody wants to deal with a black hole. Unless you're the kind of guy who wants to deal with a black hole and you found well, the desperate woman who will fit you. You don't want to deal with a black hole. What you want to do is take advantage of a black hole until you've used up the black hole and then you're ready to move on to a different black hole. Or you're such a loser and so undeserving of anyone yeah. that you'll take someone you're just You'll just take the black hole. And who wants that guy? Oh no, it's the devil's advocacy alarm. Hey guys, it's better to marry than to burn. We should want to... I'm going to be the devil here in case that wasn't clear. We should, like, shouldn't people be, who find themselves on the wrong side of not having a relationship, be, so to speak, desperate to remedy that? To be desperate is to be without hope. And to be without hope means not to be trusting God. And what a anyone in that situation ought to be doing is casting their cares on the Lord, fighting their sin, hoping and praying for God to bring a good man into their lives, and then putting themselves in a, the best position possible, which is working on your character, serving the church, and being in a good church where there are good, godly, single men. Yeah, and that doesn't mean like, don't signal that you want to get married and don't tell people that you'd like to get married. Because if you don't do that and you want to get married, there's something weird and super spiritual going on, I think. But that's not desperation. Desperation's bad. Hence the wonderful name of this segment, Desperate Louse Wives. That was a wonderful name, Nathan. Thank yeah. you, Ben. Would it's, you guys like to applaud it now? It's the best name so far. I don't know that it deserves applause. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go into the next segment. How's that for a transition? Wow. Which is entitled, Be Content is the Best Little Bee. And we named this one <laughs> specifically in honor of Mrs. Menzel because she hates the word contentment. Yeah, at least in this scenario. In this context, which isn't to, yes. which isn't to say that she hates. She hates. Contentment? She's the most she discontent woman that you can think of. <laughs> she hates her life, and that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and she also hates the Bible. Mm. It uses this word all the time. <laughs> right. Apparently, no. No, what she knows is that "be content" is a phrase that people toss around to people who are in difficult situations and circumstances as a little catchphrase that's supposed to mean something. Right. And. What they really mean is maybe be patient, suffer well, right. little person. But what we actually want to say is something that is the opposite of desperation, which is, hey, enjoy life. Have fun. Find joy in the work that God's given you to do. Find joy in the work of serving the church. Find things to do to occupy yourself with that are profitable and are godly and also make you happy. You know, go to parties and have fun. Go to church events and don't be sulky and don't just grin and bear it, you know, and be content. Be content often gets thrown out there to plaster over the problem. 
rather than to actually deal with the problem. I think that's why the phrase is kind of irksome. Do you, do you, sorry, but do you mean like kind of like submit to fate or something or just resign yourself like that? No, I, I do think that that is the way that people often use it. it. Resign yourself to fate. I keep coming back to the phrase, you know, grin and bear it. What I'm thinking of is I told my wife not to be sad yesterday and it was the wrong thing to do. She was sad about something that she needed to be sad about. She was mourning someone else's sin that she'd been dealing with. And it was something that was worth being sad about. And But but I really wanted to watch TV. <laughs> and I didn't want to deal with it. And so I think I was kind of throwing out some phrases. I don't know that I specifically said, be content. But I was very selfishly saying, just plaster over it and smile. Which is a certain brand of mommy blogger that do certain things. Let's pretend like it's never nasty to change a diaper. Let's pretend like it's just yeah. unmitigated joyfulness to have four toddlers around. Let's just smile and smell good all the time and look good all the time and post, you know, it's like what we make fun of with Erica Rosebloom yeah. kind of thing. But that's not what we mean by be content. We mean by have fun and be content and enjoy your life. Joy is infectious. Happiness is infectious. I think that's another thing that's just like... And it's attractive. Attractive. Yeah. When you see a woman and she's like smiling, that goes a long way. (sighs) Guys, we've got two more. I think we can get through them pretty quick here. Number six. Hashtag women up. There's a certain kind of woman that uses a pretext of biblical femininity as a way to cover over just being lazy. Mm Mm-hmm not improving herself and not engaging in real life. She's learned that she wants to just be married and have kids, which is to say she just wants some man to come and do all of the things for her so that she can not have to do all the things. Right. It's a really common temptation and something that we see happen a lot in young women who've caught some kind of vision for biblical femininity is they'll swing from career mindedness to wait a minute the bible says i can be lazy right <laughs> the bible says i can just sit around that's i what, should just sit that's around what and wives and mothers man. do just sit around all day yeah exactly the thing is being a wife and a mother is a incredibly high and difficult calling and something that is constant work you should be in practice for that work and if you're not in practice for that work you're not going to be prepared for it, and you're not going to be attractive to any kind of man of any sense, right? He's looking to prepare himself to provide for a good woman and to care for a family and to bear God's image in the world, however God's calling him to do that. And he wants a woman that he knows can be by his side. It shares his commitments and shares his work ethic and shares his is about, he's not looking for somebody who, wants, who thinks they want to sit around and just have all their problems solved because their white knight's just going to show up and God owes it to them to send the white knight up while she just lays and wastes away in her castle. You know, that is not how this works. I keep thinking of a passage, a wonderful passage from a wonderful novel, uh, Maya Antonia, if anybody's read it, where he contrasts two groups of women and he's looking at them 30, 40 years down the road and remembering them remembering them as girls, basically. And he remembers the daughters of the, I think it was Black Hawk town, the the townie daughters. And then he yeah. remembers the immigrant daughters that lived on the outskirts of yeah. the town. And the townie girls, the Black Hawk girls, had this belief that was inculcated in them by their parents that they were refined because they were more refined. They had the money. But the interesting irony he observes is that that all swapped by the time he's writing all the families with the immigrant daughters who didn't believe they're refined now have the money, now form the backbone of this community. They're the families that have thrived. 
And the reason is because the immigrant daughters, like Antonia in the novel, worked hard. She's out there threshing grain. She's she's just teaching. She's was doing- completely committed to being a part of the household economy and pulling her own weight. Yeah. Whatever that meant to help the family survive. And that was just part of her life growing up. Yeah, the town girls look down on that as being coarse and maybe even brutish or manly. Right. But actually, all of those country girls ended up happily married and having lots of babies. And prosperous. And very prosperous situations because they were attractive to a certain kind of man who was headed somewhere and they were well positioned to help their households thrive and succeed and knew how to run a household and make a household work. And the ladies sat on their couches and went to the theater thinking that that was... Femininity. Femininity. Basically. Ended up married to louses or burned or used mm. up. Mm. Very yeah. bad situations. The Proverbs 31 woman comes to mind. I've been thinking about her the whole time. I mean, I guess I didn't want to use her because I felt like it's such it's a big you. It's going to get you eye rolls because people use Proverbs 31 to press mm-hmm. people. And Proverbs right. 31 is actually for a man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, hey... We are sort of describing this from the man's point of view, since that's the only thing we can do and say what yep. is attractive. And hey, if you want a list, you could do, I'm sorry, it's a cliche, but you can do worse than Proverbs 31. Proverbs I mean, 31. it's for the woman too, right? I mean, it's like, it is. it's useful. But it's, hey, here's the kind of man you should be and the kind of woman that you should get, son. Well, it's some of my favorite stories from the Bible. Some of the best women's stories are women like Abigail or Ruth, who were very proactive and yeah doing what they mm-hmm. needed to do they weren't just you know abigail wasn't just like i'm gonna sit around and let my family be slaughtered and ruth w- went and threshed grain mm-hmm. and then her her mother-in-law was like do this kind of thing to make the guy like you go sleep at his feet <laughs> yeah <laughs> he'll like it hey there's Put another tip the <laughs> what if that was number seven uh, <laughs> i think about it like <clears throat> when you think about all these women like rachel is a shepherdess mm-hmm. right Jacob thought she was something special. Mm-hmm. Rebecca, Rebecca, same, same story, right. shepherdess. And the servant found her working. She came That's and right. watered all his... Uh... The sign, the thing with Rebecca was she was there not just to serve herself and her flock and her family, but she was going to serve the stranger too. That's right. Right. It's super attractive. And I'll tell you what else is attractive is coming to the end of this podcast with our final point, which this one really does, in a non-ironic sense, have a dumb name, folks but I really couldn't think of a better one. I'm sorry. This one's called, You Are a Prize to Be Won. Which doesn't mean all that self-esteem kind of crap. So (laughs) what does it mean, guys? Well, I think it's just maybe as much a riff on don't be desperate. It's a way of saying don't settle, I think. I think interestingly, a lot of what we've been talking about through these two episodes has really been don't settle. I mean, that brings up a good question, I think, which is when... Do you settle? Or, or what is not settling, like, realistically? It, it, it depends on what you mean, I guess, by settling, right? There's always going to be the girl or the guy that thinks way too highly of themselves and never gets married because they can never find anybody worthy of them. And those people are idiots. And there is a time and a place to say to somebody, hey, you know what? You kind of just need to get married. And you kind of just need to find a, a good man. A, a great man is one thing. A good man's good enough. Right. But at the same time, what you don't want to do is encourage people to idolize marriage to the point where they think that marriage equals godliness and therefore they'd better just get married as soon as they turn 18 or as soon as the first guy comes along. Yeah, I think that's kind of the paradigm that I have in mind is where you see a sweet young woman who's embraced her femininity and suddenly she's accepting of all these doofuses 
controlling feels idiots. like he, even that she ought to be right she's yeah she's almost gravitating towards them somehow here's an idea marry a guy you actually like mm-hmm. that you actually respect that you find attractive that you will be proud to say is your husband that's the kind of guy you should be looking to marry because what's going to happen no matter who you marry is you're going to wake up and find out that they're not that respectable and they're a horrible sinner just like you and you're going to be stuck working things through but you're going to be commanded by god to honor and respect this man and to show him that kind of respect and it sure does help if it starts out that way and so Get yourself a man that you really respect and think a lot of. You can say to yourself, hey, I would be proud to be that man's wife. Get you a guy that you like, that you like being with and hanging out with and being around. And short of that, get yourself a godly man who's at least going to take care of you and honor God and provide for you and your children. That's okay, too. That's definitely okay. I'll tell you what wouldn't be okay, though, Jake. <laughs> What's that? Ending this episode without hearing from Sanityville's most, what's the word? Respected author. The most yes. respected author. <laughs> Insanityville. Insanityville. Yes. And so we have a special segment from one Quentin Seltzer for you. I think he's advertising one of his new books. And it's been a while since he's come out with a new book. It's been a while since we've heard from. I, I think he's actually like, isn't he like talking to the guys in his new book? He's not talking to the ladies, right? He's talking to the guys about romance. Yeah, he probably is. But you huh. know what? This is the this is the end of our two part series on Valentine's Day and romance. So no matter what he's talking about, who better to take us out? <laughs> no one, of course, than Quentin Seltzer. Huh. So let's go, guys. Uh, we'll see you for next episode. Here's Quentin. Hi, everybody. Quentin Seltzer here, and welcome to my new book, Give Up on Romance, the five-step plan to making women say yes to you by saying no to them. If you're a guy like me, wise beyond my years, always alive for the party, knows when to hold them and when to fold them and when to go all in, baby, and I'm playing with house money. Did I mention I write great books? Ah, don't you mean co-write, Mr. Q. Seltzer? As in, we're doing this together. Right, Mr. Kieseltzer? <laughs> oh, Andy, Andy, Andy. <laughs> I told you, my new name in public is Glurby McDuffel. <laughs> All right, of course, uh, Glurpy, of course, we're doing them together, buddy. Now go back into your little closet, your little your office, office, and get back to writing or whatever you're doing right now. Yes, sir, Mr. Kieseltzer. Sockmom says, I love the darkness of the closet. Channel it into using that twerp Quentin social media savvy to take down all the evil women. I'm gonna go consult my muse now. Wow, okay there. Anyhow, did I mention that my latest book is about a subject of my particular expertise? Romance, baby! Well, let me tell you, you want my book because you are a guy kind of like me, i.e. awesome. (laughs) You're not as awesome as me, but don't feel bad about that. Nobody is. You're good enough, or you will be soon, after you read my book and go through five easy steps. So, get ready. Step one, stop caring about women and what they want because, duh, women don't care about you, and women don't know what they want. And if you care about what they want, the one thing they know is that you don't have it because they don't know what it is. Step two, start caring about yourself. Physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. Okay, so physical... 
nothing is more attractive to women than a man who spends hours polishing his guns, and by guns, I mean these babies right here, aka my biceps. But I also mean real guns, like made of metal guns that can shoot people, because you gotta protect yourself, bro. Metal. Turns out, Sudoku isn't just for Japanese people. Emotional? I'm not ashamed of my counselor. Not ashamed of my psychiatrist. Not ashamed of my other psychiatrist. I'm not ashamed! Fact is, I think real strength comes from admitting that we all need help processing our stuff, yo. Just like you need my help, yo. So buy my book, yo. All right, what's left? Spiritual, I go to church. I have a mindfulness routine. I watch movies with transcendent themes. And I bring all four of these aspects of myself together in yoga. Quentin Seltzer yoga, baby. Step three, make all the money. All the money you can, that is. <laughs> hey, remember all that time you used to spend going on dates, figuring out women and all that garbage? Remember all that money? Oh man, it just went down the drain. Well, why don't you put all that time into making money, broski? Hey, how many books have I been able to write using the time I wasted on dates? How many side hustles have I funded with the money that I wasted? How many Sudoku puzzles have I completed? Oh, you'll never guess how many. How much money have I made? You'll never guess how much. And that brings me to my next point, which is buy all the stuff, do all the things. Hey guys, let's face it. A woman at the end of the day wants somebody that's just better than her. Buy that biggest house on the block. Buy that Lamborghini. Buy that trip to the Bahamas. Step five, put it all on social. How are all the women going to start pursuing you if they can't see you? Huh. Tweet those tweets. Rev up that Insta. Get your face on Facebook. And make my space your space. Pretty soon the ladies are going to be sliding into your DMs. Just like they do for me. You know the women you've pursued have failed you, bro. They've refused to see your innate awesomeness and your overwhelming masculine appeal. Whoa! Don't give them the chance to do that again. Instead, give up on romance. Because trust me, there's nothing women care more about than a man who doesn't care about them. Bum bum up! Excuse me, is there a kid around here by the name of McDuffle? Mr. Dark! Mr. Dark, you came back! Yeah, I, I did. I finished all those cigarettes. Uh, you don't have another tin on you, do you? Uh, oh, yeah, 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 here. Thanks a lot, McDuffle. Uh, how about you and I take this $10 bill and go buy some ice cream together? You mean it? Uh, and some more cigarettes. Of course I mean it, kid. Yay! Oh, hey! Hey, I, uh, I get your, uh, monthly newsletter. I read that every, you know, every month, basically. Yeah, thanks a lot. So, uh, I'm in the mood for some ice cream. I'd love it if we could talk a little more. Maybe I could come with you guys. Hang out, you know? Yeah. Not on your life. Sound of Sanity was produced by me, executive produced by Jake and me, associate produced by Ben. And folks, go to patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity, won't you? We've got this new thing there. We call them Sanity Bites, I think. That's what I randomly named it today, and I don't know whether it's going to stick. But we've got these things that are like episodes. Sound of Sanity, like not, I don't know, Jake, how would you describe a Sanity Bite? It's just a little mini episode on things that we've been thinking about, working through, reading about, things in the news, hot takes on things that 
we may not have time to make a full episode on or even ideas that we've had for an episode we think well you know it's not going to really bear the weight of a full 60 minute sound of sanity episode so it's just little bite-sized helpful discussions about all kinds of things little delicious flavorful bits of sanity there's one over there right now where ben has some additional thoughts on ways that guys can be doofuses in pursuing ladies and it's very helpful true and you should (laughs) 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 you should listen to it and until next time stay safe